I'm so excited and almost fanning out because I have an amazing spirit that I've been following on YouTube for years. I have the honor of speaking with her today. Her name is Ariana Joy. Ariana is an embodiment mentor, herbalist, doula, and trauma resolution educator who gives individual who guides individuals on the delicate path of cultivating aliveness and living a life free from trauma. Over her 15 years of personal inner work and spiritual growth combined with 10 years of professional experience in the healing arts, she weaves an intricate web of awakening for those in devotion to their path of becoming. Ariana, how are you? I am so good. I'm so excited to be here and really feeling the weaving of life and the serendipity that led us to be here in this conversation today, really feeling that that power of life, the way that it moves us and pulls us and guides us to be where we are. And I feel like we're right where we need to be sitting here in this conversation right now. Yes, I've been looking forward to this since we connected on Instagram back in November, I think, no, October, November. Mm-hmm. And I just have like so much I want to talk about, but I know we have to kind of honor time. But I became aware of your presence when you were going back and forth to the Amazon, working with sacred plant medicine. Can you take us back to that time and just talk about how you got introduced to the power of ayahuasca and how that has led you to doing the work that you're doing now, specifically in your doulaship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we could spend hours (laughs) just on this topic alone. I could write a book and maybe I will one day, but essentially I found myself in the middle of the Amazon jungle, the upper Amazon in Peru. I was 23 years old. I had been seeking healing from what I came to learn was chronic Lyme disease, but it was about a 10 year journey. And it took about five years to get a diagnosis and then five years to find real help and support. And that ultimately led me to ayahuasca because one of my healers told me that while I was doing really well, physically, all of the detoxing and cleansing that I was doing um, was, was working, but that there was this way in which my psyche and my spirit didn't know how to be well. And so she was concerned that I was going to kind of unconsciously pull myself back into illness because that's what I had known since I was 13 years old. And after her and I had this conversation, ayahuasca kept popping up on my radar And back in 2013, it was not as mainstream as it is today. I remember uh, when it came into my field of awareness, I did some research. I think there was a National Geographic article, a couple YouTube videos and a documentary. And I really didn't know what I was getting myself into, but it was that full body. Yes. That deep inner knowing that this was something that I needed to do that I was being called to. So I ended up at that time living in the Amazon jungle for six months, studying and immersing myself in apprenticing with the Shipibo people of the upper Amazon. And from there, I spent about three, three and a half, maybe four years 
it weaving in and out of ayahuasca communities in the US. I went back to the jungle when I was 25, this is 2015, um, to study even more, spent another four months there. And in terms of your question, how does it inform my work now? I mean, it laid the foundation for everything. Everything that I do is deeply influenced by what I experienced in the jungle. Um, yes, with ayahuasca, but I always say that the jungle has a consciousness in and of itself. And ayahuasca is a beautiful, beautiful teacher, but there was something about being in the, the womb of creation, right? The Amazon is just teeming with life. There is presence and energy and movement in every, everywhere you look, everywhere you sense and feel. And for me being, you know, growing up in the Western world as a nineties child, I grew up with technology and internet and it's all my nervous system has ever really known. And so being displaced from all of that, being in the jungle without any EMFs, no connection to anything outside of what was right in front of me was beautiful it was so healing for me because it really taught me about the power of presence. And mm. then I was, um, <laughs> I jokingly and lovingly say that I was kicked out of the jungle, that the jungle was like, you have to go back to America and you need to teach them. You need to show them what you've learned. And so that's what I've been doing for the last eight years or so is just taking what I experienced in the jungle that I didn't have full context for, and I didn't have exactly a pathway of understanding of how to guide people to the places that I went, things that I experienced to help people see what I saw. But that's what I've been doing for the last eight years is just following the pull, the pull that led me to the jungle to begin with, that same golden thread of aliveness, following it forward, learning, studying, immersing myself in different experiences, um, receiving teachings from different masters and elders and wisdom keepers, and trying to kind of piece together this sense that I touched into in the jungle, which is that the beauty and the preciousness of what it is to be alive. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that informs my work as an embodiment mentor, as a trauma resolution educator, as a doula, as a healer, it's all comes back to what does it actually mean to be alive? Not in this distorted constructed version of what we have in the Western world, because it is just that most of what us here in the West have experienced for most of our lives is, is a distortion from the deeper truths of what it means to be in a body, what it means to have a soul and a spirit. And it's like, most of us are, are we're just getting breadcrumbs, you know, and we're just uh, trying to nourish ourselves off something that's ultimately unsustainable. And so weaving that principle of aliveness back, like how do we come to the truth of what it means to be human, what it means to be in a body, what it means to have a soul experiencing physicality and incarnation, and how do we make the most of it? <laughs> I've got my cat just hopped <laughs> up. <laughs> like, yes. Bodhi. Bodhi is a 12-week-old Persian, 12 and a half week old Persian, and he is such a great teacher in aliveness <laughs> and presence. He knows how to play and just enjoy the moment wholly and completely. <laughs> I love it. My um, dog love is taking a nap under the TV stand. So she made me pop out later, but I love everything that you just said. And I almost feel like I went on this journey with you because when I was watching you, I was in a horrible working relationship with a position that I 
was just honestly too big for. So I was constricting myself every day. And so I would, when I would see you in your YouTube videos, I would watch them at work and have you in the background. And you were almost like a sense of freedom for me and a reminder that life is bigger than this desk and life is bigger than this, um, this position and this trial that I was experiencing at the time. But I honestly have to say, I feel like every couple weeks, I would watch you die and be reborn after each experience that you were having. And I want to talk a little bit about the grief that you must have experienced with each of those ego deaths, and then each of those perspective deaths that you encountered while in the Amazon and working with ayahuasca. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing your experience of being witness to my journey. I'm really touched. And I always I'm humbled and just dropped into this place of deep appreciation for, again, the journey, um, you know, to know that as I'm going through my own experience of these, these micro deaths and, and some more macro, you know, personality ego deaths, um, that in some way it was supporting someone else is just that, that was my hope for, for the YouTube videos. Um, and I'll, I'll speak to that for a second and then I'll answer your question. You know, the, the videos came from, a place of just wanting other people to not feel alone ultimately, because for so long, I felt like lonely with loneliness was my dominant experience as a human up until my mid twenties. I never felt like I belonged here on planet earth. Everything felt confusing. I felt like a cosmic misfit. I'm like, everyone else seems to be getting this thing, but I I'm not getting it. But then I started to realize, oh, there's, there's other misfits here too. And it's because we're not supposed to belong to this other paradigm. We're supposed to create a new one. And so as I started having these revelations with ayahuasca and beyond just, you know, maturing into oh, the woman that I am today and learning and all these different ways, I decided to make those videos in an attempt to help people feel not as alone. So I'm so grateful to hear that it had that kind of impact in, in your world. And yes, a, a large part of why I'm drawn to death work is because of those micro deaths that I experienced in the jungle. And ayahuasca is, is also known as like the little death or mm -hmm. the vine, the vine of the soul is what ayahuasca translates to, um, literally in Quechua, but it's, it's known to take us into the underworld. It's an underworld plant and it, it reveals to us that which is no longer serving, no, that which is no longer life affirming, that which is needing to be laid to rest and um, offered, offered back to the cosmic order of things, right? And as humans, we, we often, again, until we're taught another way, and most of us in the West aren't taught this, um, we try to hold on. We, we try, it's almost like there's this, unconscious understanding that to be human is to be fixed. And we got to like, you know, get the degree and get the job and have the family. And like, we just grow in this very linear way. And we, we take all our parts along with us. And there's not a lot of context for, we actually have to die along the way in order to truly evolve in on a soul level, right. To truly experience what our souls came here to experience. We have to let aspects of us die along the way and learning to grieve appropriately was a huge part of my journey. I remember the first time 
I realized I was grieving. And I think as a sensitive soul, as a highly sensitive person, I've been grieving for most of my life. And I think that's a large part of where the chronic illness that I started to experience as a teenager started to manifest was it was unprocessed grief, but it wasn't until my mid twenties that it actually clicked in consciously that, Oh, I'm, I'm experiencing grief. And from that point, I decided to immerse myself in really exploring it from the interior and also understanding it through studying great teachers like Francis Weller and Stephen Levine and people who have devoted their life's work to helping people navigate grief. So for me, it was... um, really a journey of at first it almost was like it was happening to me is what it felt like. Like these parts were dying and I wasn't consenting to it, which was a little jarring and disorienting. But at a certain point I realized, Oh no, this is the, this is the cosmic order of things. This is how it's supposed to be. And the only reason why I feel helpless to it is because I'm not, I'm not offering my existence up to a higher power to, to whatever we want to call it, God, spirit, goddess, the you know, source of all creation, the creative force. There's something that organizes this life. And I was in dissonance with it. I was resisting it. And so that's why I was experiencing so much turmoil around the deaths. But once I realized, realized that life is cyclical, life is meant to go through these processes of death and rebirth. And we can see it in nature. We can see it everywhere, but mm-hmm. humans <laughs> seem to think that, um, and again, it's, I think it's unconscious. Most of us just inherited it. It's not like we come up with these ideas ourselves, but we're just not taught that we are a part of nature and that we too are cyclical beings. And that when we live in right relationship with that cyclical nature, things actually flow in a much more harmonious and beautiful way. And that dissonance eventually becomes resonance once we surrender to the path as it wants to unfold versus telling life what we think it should be. So those micro deaths were really an initiation for me into what it truly means to be human. Like I was speaking to at the beginning. Wow. That is a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. But when you think about it, it's, it's really so simple because it's all in front of us all the time. Like I'm looking out of the window as you were talking about nature and everything's naked and still. And it's like, well, why are we still going at full throttle? Why aren't we being still? Why aren't we just honoring the cycle? So I wanna switch gears a little bit and talk about embodiment. Mm -hmm. And you're going through these miniature deaths and sometimes macro deaths, as you said, but how do you come back into your body and exist with all of this knowledge and all of this information coming back to the states where, like you said, we're in complete disharmony with nature and with spirit and with flow? Mm, well, last week was eight years since I left the jungle for the first time from that first trip. And I've really been reflecting eight is such a powerful spiritual number. And I've just been reflecting on again, the cycles, (laughs) the cycles of life and nature and reality and kind of exploring that question for myself. And I don't have an entirely concrete, coherent answer other than what I kept being shown in the jungle was you don't have to know the whole plan. This is what ayahuasca was saying to me, Mm -hmm. revealing to me in, in so many different ways. 
You don't have to know, you just have to be. And by being present, the next right step will reveal itself. And so that's what these eight years have been about is just, and it really was that way for me for a few years, even before I drank ayahuasca, I was really in devotion to letting spirit lead some deep part of me knew that whatever the collective was doing was not, it was a distortion and that I needed to follow something else. And there was no concrete path. There was no um, philosophy or, you know, religion. And I dabbled in all kinds of things to try to find that golden thread, but ultimately the golden thread only reveals itself through presence. And so that's what I've had to learn. And, and presence is only available when we're in our body, when our consciousness and our attention is fully here. Right. And I am by no means fully embodied all the time. Right. And I, I think there's a little bit of a, in the somatic world in the embodiment world, there's this idea that we're supposed to be embodied all the time, but we're, we are spiritual creatures and, and traveling the imaginal realms and the dream realms and all of that is important and nourishing to our soul. So I think there's this kind of both and paradoxical thing where we need to open to the unseen realms just as much as we need to be physically here in the 3D and in our bodies. But it's the weaving and the merging of those two parts, our physicality, our dense um, body with our spirit weaving together. And that's what ultimately creates. Presence. And from that place of presence there, in my experience, it's a felt sense thing. So it's not cognitive. It's not logical. It's not linear. It's something that there's a, again, that resonance in my body of, okay, this is someone I want to reach out to, or this is a book I want to read, or this is a food I want to eat. You know, ultimately all of my choices as someone who is committed to living through a somatic reality, essentially living through my senses and in that union with body and spirit um, versus from the mind, right? A lot of people in the Western world were living from the neck up. We're living very cognitive uh, mind-based in a very cognitive mind-based reality. And so for me, my journey has become about devoting myself to a somatic reality, a body-oriented reality, a sensual, sensuous reality. And from that place, the next step always reveals itself. And ultimately that's what led me to, so you watched me on YouTube for years. I did my death doula training this past summer and my death doula teachers were tagged in a post that you were also tagged in. I looked at your Instagram, felt a resonance with you and followed you, right? And so it's, again, this is the, the weaving of things. It's not linear, it's not logical, but that's the gift and the beauty of living an embodied life. So to circle back to your question, it, I'm still discovering it, right? And I've learned so much through the years, but ultimately it's not, <laughs> I don't think life really wants to be pinned down. I don't think life wants to be put into an equation. So it's like the moment that I think I've got a handle on it and can articulate it in a way that other people could understand or could map it out. It's like, whoop, it shapeshifts into something else. And I'm learning another layer of what it means to be here, what it means to be a spiritual being, having a human experience. How has God shown or revealed him, her, it beings self to you in the most impactful way? Mm, that's a great question. I was talking with a friend about this recently, a friend who I would say is more le atheistic leaning, but opening to a more agnostic 
worldview. And the way that it came through, and I was kind of surprised when I said it, um, again, because it just came from a place of presence. I wasn't really thinking about it. But what I said was, God is a place that I go. Mm. God is a place that I go inside of myself. Mm. And I think that, you know, and again, through my medicine work, I kept being shown that the truth of reality is way bigger and way more complex than any of our human minds or human nervous systems would ever be able to comprehend. (laughs) It's just the truth, the truth with a capital T is, is just, it's infinite and our limited human mind can't hold the infinite. And so what I'm about to say here is just a layer. I just want to speak to that as what I, I perceive it as a layer of truth, not the absolute. Um, but what I have come to understand is God is, is a place that all of us can go to. It's the common core. It's the essential nature of the whole cosmic reality, right? Of humans, of plants, of animals, of planets, of water, of fire, of earth, of air. It, it all ultimately converges to a single still point. And that's what I've come to know as God. It's the common core that weaves throughout everything. And it's a place that I go to inside of myself through dance, through chanting, through prayer, through ritual, through sacred sexuality, through um, doula work, birth, death, right? It's like these, I, I think that a lot of these things are considered sacred because of the way that they pull us back to that more absolute experience of the cosmic reality. And, and, and then it gets fractalized, right? It's like, you are a dimension of God. I am a dimension of God. We are all a a fractal, a fragment of the whole, but if we turn towards the core inside of ourselves and I get there again, through dance and meditation and things like that, but some people get through there through making art or being in nature. There's so many ways, but when we turn back to that which is unchanging, that's what I've come to experience as God. And that's how God has revealed itself to me. Beautiful. And I love how this is just flowing because I wanted to switch gears again and talk about the opposite of grief, which is creation or creating. Mm -hmm. And I see that you offer embodiment spaces in the form of exploring sacred sexuality. So let's talk about that for a minute because um, I'm getting married in about a month and thank you. And sex is such an important part of relationships. I don't think people understand sex, especially in this part of the world. It's, It's so dehumanized almost to a point. I hope that's the right word. Yeah, that's the right word I want to use. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about sacred sexuality and what that looks like for you and how expressing sacred sexuality can be a healer for grief. Mm -hmm. Let me just sit with that for a second. Again, I feel like there's so, so many points we could talk about here. Mm. I believe at this point in my journey that life wants to be known, not again, not pinpointed, not mapped in some mechanistic way, but known and experienced. And again, if we come back to that original still point, God that we were just speaking to, and 
rename it creation, right? It's the, that's the first force of all creation. It's the, the thing that was before all else came to be. And that impulse to create is inherent in the creator. It has to be. Otherwise, it wouldn't, creation would never occur. And as emissaries of God or emissaries of uh, the creator, I believe that impulse exists inside of all of us as well. And so sacred sexuality, as I've come to know it, is a, an embodied way to work with that creative impulse and to work with our life force energy, which wants to expand, express experience. So I'm kind of anthropomorphizing energy, <laughs> but I do think there is a way in which, again, how we be is reflective of consciousness itself as above, so below. So sacred sexuality is this way of getting to know how to move in our own bodies. And I don't mean physically move, although that obviously is a part of sex, but I mean, like, how do we, how do we move towards, how do we move away from, how do we open? When do we close? There's a rhythm, there's a pulse to life, right. And to creation. And so sex and sacred sexuality gives us an opportunity to experience that in our bodies as sacred creators. And then that translates into our world as entrepreneurs, as people just moving through the world, as the world is navigating some crazy, crazy chaos right now, right? We're all being asked to kind of turn in and say like, well, what do we want to do from here? Right? right? Clearly what we've created isn't working. And I think a lot of what we've created is from that distortion, disembodiment, linear thinking, uh, mechanistic kind of reductionist ways. Um, but what do we want to do from here? Right. And so sacred sexuality is a way for us to physically experience, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually experience our own creative power. And then from that place, we know we can do that in our relationships in, you know, all the things we want to change in the world, education, healthcare, politics, like those, those feel really big because they are, but from the place of creation, there's infinite possibility. So I think that sacred sexuality, knowing the way around our own body, knowing the way around our own energy is of utmost importance for the world that we are being invited to create from this point forward. I love that. And how about how it relates to grief? Mm. <sighs> yeah, I can't remember who said it. You might, you might know one of the brilliant authors. They said essentially that um, death is not the opposite of life, right? Mm -hmm. Life is birth and death. Life holds all of it. And so I think grief is a part of creation, right? Like grieving to grieve is to express love. We only grieve because we've loved so deeply. And so I don't create distinction between death creation. I see it as all, all a part of it and ecstatic joy and bliss and grief. They're all a part of the spectrum of what it means to be human. And so I think learning how to grieve appropriately, and that could be a whole conversation that you and I could have, I'm sure what yeah. that actually means, but just planting the seed for the listeners here that learning to grieve appropriately opens 
pathways for greater creative energy to move through us. Because if we're not grieving properly, that energy gets stuck, that life force, that love, that, that devotional energy. It, that's why we grieve because we care, right? If we didn't care, we wouldn't, there would be nothing moving through us, but we live in a grief phobic, death phobic culture. And so we don't learn how to move that energy through our system. It gets stuck. It starts to manifest as physical illness. It starts to manifest as mental illness, um, low energy, lack of motivation, right? And But once we move that through our system, we have greater access to our own vital energy, our own life force, which is creation in action. I love it. So before I let you go, what's next? Like, how do you... Even, are, are you being led in a certain direction? Are you ever going to go back to the jungle? What, what's next? Where are you being pulled? Because I know it has to be a feeling for you. Yeah, honestly, I'm being pulled into deeper presence, which means letting go of needing to know. Um, again, I was just talking with a girlfriend the other night and, uh, she asked a similar question. She was asking it more around business and, you know, um, next steps for what I'm offering. And I just said, I don't know. And I'm learning to be okay with that. Like, I think that's the medicine that I'm receiving right now is I don't need to know because it's going to be so dependent, right? There's so many forces. I have a will, I have an intent, I have a, an ability to uh, influence reality, but there's other people, there's, you know, Pachamama, the earth, there's the cosmic forces. There's so many things that are outside of my control. And so instead of like trying to put my mark on the world, learning to kind of sit back, listen, be moved, be still when, when there's no movement, when there's no pull learning how to be okay and not freak out that I don't know what my next step is. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at is, is deepening presence. Um, I run a trauma resolution training, trauma informed care training at this point. So on a practical level, business-wise, there's some growth happening there with some new programs coming out um, offering private mentorship to women, just kind of continuing with what I know at this point and, and waiting to see what's next. And I have a little tickle of a sense that maybe a book wants to be written sooner than later. <laughs> I, I can't wait for your book. I know that there's just so much there and I just can't wait to see what's next. Um, thank you so much for spending this time with me and being so open and vulnerable. I am going to invite you back and I hope that you accept um, when the time is right. Uh, is there a way that people can find you online, not only to follow you or see what you have to offer, but to support you financially? Yeah. So I'm on social media on Facebook and Instagram. I don't use Facebook a lot these days, but I am there. So Ariana joy. Um, and the spelling is a U R I a N N a I'm sure that'll be in the, the show notes, but my website, Ariana joy as well. Um, in terms of support financially, I would just love for people to pay it forward, donate to what they care about, you know, let, let your aliveness pull you forward. If there's something in the world that is just breaking your heart or inspiring you, give your time, give your energy, give your money, give your life force to that, which you care about, to that, which you find purposeful and that you in an embodied way believe matters. Cause that's how we're going to grow this, this new world, this new version of reality that we so, so desperately need on this planet. So that would be 
my ask is to just for the listeners to drop in and just feel your heart, maybe hand on your heart. And just, what do you care about in this moment? And what do you have to give? It doesn't have to be money. It could be a prayer. You know, it, it could be just a kind thought. It could be, you know, following something on someone on Instagram and just saying, I love your work, like as a creator, and I'm sure you know this as well, people sharing that it, it means more than we could ever put into words. Cause it, it this path of, of creation is, is sometimes winding and confusing and unclear. And so to have someone say, Hey, your work impacts me is really, really powerful. So pay it forward, use your life force to help create that, which you want to experience. Thank you so much. And thank you to each and every one of you for watching and listening all of Ariana's contact information bio and where you can find her online will be listed either in the description on YouTube or in the notes on the podcast. Live life, love hard. We'll talk to you next time.